Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> There's a little delay. Oh, okay. Um, here we are. Day three, technically. Day t- technically day three. Kicking it off with another great interview. Uh, yesterday, I think it was a record for us. It was definitely the most interviews we've done in a conference day. In a day. single day. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. Yes. But uh, uh, we both got our voice back. That's good. For the most part. Yeah. 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 Yep. I'm not, I don't know the tremors today, so that's good. Good that's for improvement you. from yeah, yesterday. Yeah. Well, way to be an adult. Stuck to Mezcal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Made yes. a huge difference. Um, thank you, Ivan, for uh, for, <laughs> for showing us, for showing what us good the way. Is. That's right. Yeah, definitely. All right. Let's get this rolling. Uh, sure. Our first guest this morning. Quick self introduction, if you would, Ben. Just, Ben, give us your name, who you're with, and kind of what you do. Absolutely. Uh, ben Williams, Chief Operating Officer of Exxon Technologies. Um, broadly, Exxon is a company that sits at the intersection of uh, high accuracy mobile mapping and <laughs> autonomous navigation for drones and ground robots. And on top of that, sponsor of the Wi-Fi this week. That's true. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, I have uh, some issues. You know, I can't can't live stream a podcast, but you know, I'm sure it wasn't meant, <laughs> meant for that kind of bandwidth. <laughs> oh man! So I uh, hear you got some exciting news to share with us. It's true. We just. Uh, launched a new product for us, which is called the Exxon Nexus. It combines our aerial, ground, and mobile mapping products into a single device, which can swap between any of the systems and is hand-portable, backpackable, etc. Really? Yeah. It's a really... Like, how, how big is this? It's, um, it's about, like, this... Size um, of a toaster? Um, yeah, a little smaller than a toaster. It's about two and a half kilograms, um, so very portable and easy to put on any of your standard drones uh, that have that much payload. So it's, uh, it's a pretty big move for us. We're really excited. So what does this do for you guys? Like what, what makes this the next big thing for you? So the, the critical piece really is that uh, it enables people to buy a handheld unit first, mm-hmm. figure out their data and their workflows, make sure they understand how to utilize everything without having to spend for a much more complicated, more expensive autonomous system and then as they figure out what their use case is, they start to add in the autonomy, they add in other vehicles to, uh, to get the data. And so it's a, a really great way to expand uh, ownership and value for, uh, for all the folks without the survey industry. Uh, is it a SLAM system then? It is a SLAM system, yes. Gotcha. All and right. explain what SLAM is for Sean. <laughs> sure. So uh, ahead, <laughs> SLAM is uh, simultaneous localization and mapping. And the basic idea is you have all the LiDAR beams going out and measuring what's around it. So it creates this uh, real-time picture, and then as a result of that, you're able to identify features in the environment. And as those features move uh, through each of the uh, each of the scans, mm-hmm. then the system says, if a feature moved and a lot of other features moved, I am probably moving. And therefore, it sort of tracks location and movement, allows you to uh, drive something autonomously in that sense, mm-hmm. uh, but also create these real-time uh, high-accuracy maps. And high accuracy in this case, because I always get asked that, is on the order of like uh, 10 to 20 centimeters, or millimeters, sorry, 10 to 20 millimeters. Got it. Uh, so it's not, you know, the super accurate tripod scanners. We don't play in that side of it. Sure. But everything uh, sort of in the mobile mapping world. So what's the, what's the biggest use case so far that, you, uh, that you've been talking about this week? So this week has been a lot of people talking about um, doing rapid progress scans of um, construction sites or uh, places where they're doing repairs or renovations, that sort of thing, uh, especially as builts where they don't necessarily have great drawings already or a scenario where what they're really trying to get after is how do I make sure that things are all happening in the right sequence without having to go and take you know, you know, specific pictures of every single area of a site or do a tripod scan of 
entire facility, which can take a really long time. So is there, I'm, I'm assuming there is, how, there's got to be a way to like geo-reference these scans, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, that's a, a critical piece of the workflow, right? Yeah, yeah it's an automated uh, sort of add-on after you've done the scan, and you can integrate yeah. it directly into your, what you, what you call the global map, or uh, into um, existing systems, uh, like you know, Trimble Business Center, whatever you're using. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like the as-build application. Like, uh, I'm a my favorite to- <laughs> You know, he's a civil engineer. That's and my favorite topic. <laughs> we deal with as-builds all the time. And it yeah. is the worst, because you're trying to pull this all together at the end of the project, right? Right. And make it make sense. And it's, <laughs> oh, God, it's, this could be a solution. It could be. It sort of sounds like it. Yeah, one, one of the interesting things we've, we've tackled, too, is that um, there's a lot of talk about translating these kind of maps into a digital BIM. Um, but there's also the aspect of, you know, if something, some type of data isn't covered in a digital BIM, you still want to be able to have a 3D model that has photospheres so that when you're doing planning for, you know, let me get this piece of equipment through a hallway, the BIM might not have every single piece of thing there. But if you have a 3D model with the photosphere that you know was updated within the last week, feel pretty confident that you have a sense for what's going on in that environment. Right. So it's much better for planning. It's much better for ops, for things like uh, progress payments, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I can see progress payments, too. So who's your target uh, customer for this piece of equipment? So I, our biggest customers right now in this space are for sure the survey teams um, and the and survey companies also that are going out and doing either you know, contracted work or as part of, uh, you know, we, we talk to a lot of uh, verticalized um construction companies as well that are pretty interested in it. But I think that the the, the biggest opportunity and the, the way we can have the, the biggest impact for folks is teams that are driven by like, how do I get the most um, site visits done and the most uh, contracts executed? So like small and medium businesses that are, you know, their day-to-day is like, how can I cut this down from being a three-hour to a two-hour job? And being able to capture the right amount of, um, of data quickly and effectively, efficiently, and not have to go back out uh, once you've captured it and gone back to your office, all of those things add up a lot. So businesses can be a lot more successful that way. Got it. What's the battery life on a piece of equipment like that? A couple hours. I mean, they're swappable. Okay. So yep. you can have um, you know, just like a camera battery. Sure. Um, so it's probably two hours a, a shot, but you got it. bring a couple in your bag. Yeah. All yeah. Day. I've never asked that question. <laughs> really? Yeah. I've never, like, cause I, you, know, you see this equipment all over the place. I'm like, wow, how much does this chew up batteries or what? Mm-hmm. Well, it's got, it's got two, right? Yeah. I think, yeah. Well, the, the handheld isn't too bad. Um, you can go a few hours with a fairly small battery. Uh, yep. A drone, for sure. Sure. <laughs> Choose through the batteries. The same thing with ground robots to a lesser extent. But, yep. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and this can be mounted to a UAV. Yep. Right. Yeah, so part of the, part of the, the sort of the special sauce that we, we bring to it is that uh, the same device such as a mobile mapper, mm-hmm. when you put it on a drone or a ground robot, you can actually <coughs> use the autonomous features to automatically scan mm-hmm. areas and all the all the same same things you would want to do with an autonomous drone. Yep. And the mobile mapper is the little cart thing, right? It's the 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 Nexus device itself is oh, a mobile gotcha. mapper okay. that has the gotcha. whole, all the software in it. Oh, with you. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Interesting. Interesting. So when you have an advancement like this in the hardware, mm-hmm. is there an advancement in the software at the same side at the same time? Of course. Yeah. I mean, we're we're working both in parallel, but the the key thing is that you know with software you can do a lot of continuous improvements, mm-hmm. and hardware obviously. It's more difficult to do rapid sort of, especially field improvements. And so, you know, we took a lot of learnings over the last couple of years, put them all together in a development cycle over the last year. Got it. And, you know, integrate that into this device. You know, a lot of the feedback we had around 
know, consistency of captures and how do you get really clean walls and lines and you know, lower drift rates and all that kind of stuff. Got it. Got it. And are there any like partnerships you want to mention or anything? Uh, we've got a couple great partners. Um, you know, Trimble has been a great partner for us. Uh, we work with them quite a bit, and they're actually not far from here in uh, in Westminster. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so they're and we're borrowing their spot robot for uh, oh, nice. for the show today because <laughs> it's easier than shipping ours. Oh, so very uh, cool. Big shout out to uh, to Jim Coleman's crew over there yeah. to uh, for helping us out there. Um, and we've got um, we've got a bunch of great uh, great channel partners as well a lot of the building point uh network has been uh mm-hmm. been coming on board with us and doing some really great things as well cool so i mean i'm, I'm trying to picture when you said like the the, the takeoffs or the like the the quantities mm-hmm. and i'm guessing what the difference is here and tell me if i'm, I'm off base but uh the the unit can be mounted to to you know it, but just about anything and it can basically automate the the basically fly the whole site, calculate out and process mm-hmm. it right then instead right. of somebody come out, get a bunch of data, take it back. And then a week later, they, it's more, exactly. it's, it's in real time, right? Yeah. So it's, it's all at the edge, both in real time and for post-processing. Mm-hmm. So you can watch on the tablet as it streams back a full color cloud uh, coming back to the tablet. And I think we're the only company that does that. Um, but that's a, you can get that already in real time. Mm-hmm. And so you can see, as you're capturing, if you miss an area or if there's like a particular feature you want to get you know, more coverage on, so right. awesome. you can just circle back right on it then. And then even for post-processing, you can run that on the tablet without going to the cloud, without going to an office, anything like that. You can run post right there so that you can make sure loop closures happen. You make sure you get you know, the full uh, impact of all the you know, control points and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So can there be somebody in the office as well viewing this in real time? You can stream it that way as well. Um, yeah. We've done some work where we have um, remote access, and you can actually control it remotely from you know over the oh, internet or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's not a super common use case for us because most of our folks are survey team members that are uh, out there in the field. They're already, like you said, they're already out there. You're trying to take a full day into yeah. two hours right. and get the deliverable back quicker. Right. But it is the the end vision for all of this stuff is definitely to be in a position where you can have like a single. Uh, you know, uh, geological expert or you know, survey expert that's sitting at the office and actuating a thousand of these systems across every job site that they have yeah. so that you don't have to yeah. go and like, oh, I got to drive two hours over to the one site yep. and then over to the other site. And, yeah. Know. And that's that's what I picture it's is like awesome. every job site is going to have this box. Right. And then every Monday at <laughs> 945, the box opens, open the, the drone, drone and it yep. takes five passes exactly. and goes back, <laughs> right. you know, and charges again. And yep. then. The guy sitting in the office is like, okay, here, here, all right, all right, good, boop, 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 and then, all right. Yeah, he got the whole thing. And then he's got the whole thing. He's got all his quantities, right. and that's just how, how the workflow goes. Yeah. You don't even send anyone out there on exactly. a routine basis. Which yeah. is awesome. awesome. It's a huge time saver and allows uh, all of these people that are you know, experts in their field to focus more on the, the actual like data use and like doing the, the stuff that is really critical to their job mm-hmm. rather than spending it all commuting back and forth. Well, and then you get the, I didn't realize I needed that until it was right there. You're like, hey, what about this? Or like, there's a problem. Like, oh, wait, we have a, <laughs> we have a scan from two days ago. Let me just pull that up and you're, you're problem solving instead of, well, we need to figure out where we're at first. Right. Call yeah. the guys, get them scheduled, get yep. the data back, and then you're a week behind. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Super cool. Talk about the challenges of uh, like data management. Yeah. I mean, 
data management in general is hard with point clouds because they're just huge, huge data files. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's one of the reasons why we didn't base it on a cloud service because most of the survey teams we work with, whether they're underground or out on field sites, they don't have you know a wired high bandwidth connection. Mm -hmm. Best case, they might have their 5G phone. But yeah, That's you're still, still not. Yeah, you're not. You're not shipping out 100 gig to right. <laughs> to yeah, bounce exactly. around. So it's it's much better to be able to get the because at the end of the day, what they're looking for is the insight, right? The the like the one piece of information they need, right? They the, yeah, you know, the uh, the ability to make the right next decision. So they don't actually need the file; they need the insight that comes Got from it. the file. So if you can do it all at the edge much, much easier. Yep. Yeah. It's almost like you're skipping that step and putting yourself in the, the general contractor or whoever at the right. end is saying, all I need is the number that's in that pile. So right. I know if I need to order more yeah. or make, you know, more, more aggregate or dig more or whatever it might be. Exactly. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, well, one last thing, I'm just curious. Uh, this is like the launch of this. Yeah. I'm just curious how, how does, you know, take away the technology and the thing itself. How do you pull off a launch like this? And talk about some of the challenges you go from. Oh, I'm yeah. sure this was not just last week you threw it together and no. okay, let's. Let, I mean, I'm sure this was planned well in advance. Right. Well, it's the. Uh, I like to use the the phrase that um, you know every overnight success is ten years in the making. Mm. And <laughs> That's so, good, I, yeah. you know, when when whatever preparation meets opportunity is you know uh, success. And so in this case, you know, we've. We've been working on the development of the uh, of the hardware itself for over a year. We've got some great partners. Um, I think um, Misty West, uh, some of the guys are around here as well. That we worked with them to do some of the industrial design. Mm -hmm. They were great partners in that process as well. Um, you know, we did a lot of um, time in the field with customers, learning from you know if you could change existing system X, like mm -hmm. what would it be? Mm -hmm. What's your favorite thing about it? What's yeah. the worst thing about it? Um, you know, all of those elements go into the product development cycle and the iteration and, all, you know, it, it took a lot of time. Um, yeah. But, you know, we, we got it done um, in plenty of time and now it's, you know, it's going to be available here in the next uh, next month or so. Yeah. So it's pretty exciting. That That's is cool. So are there are there still like, I don't know, lingering challenges when it comes to supply chain or anything? Or is that not a problem any longer? Well, if you had asked me six months ago, I would have said it's pretty much worked out. Yeah. But now we're beginning to see a little bit of like macroeconomic stuff with yeah. the shift of some suppliers from China to Mexico or Vietnam or other mm -hmm. places. So mm -hmm. you're getting a lot of these like weird um, perturbations in supply chain that way. Mm -hmm. Plus you have a lot of the shipping challenges because of the, the folks that are like shooting missiles into the Red Sea and right. oh, yeah. you know, that's yeah. raising costs and like timelines. And so, you know, if you, if you order far enough in advance, you're fine, but if you're trying to do like a quick turn thing, it can be really tumultuous to try and get something actually done. Wow. Yeah. What else? Anything else you want to get out there <laughs> yeah. we may have not asked you about? Um, no, I mean it's uh, you know we're we're mainly just really excited to get into the uh, into the field with a lot of the, the survey team folks. You know we're we're fairly new to the geospatial world. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a lot of our history in underground mining and uh, some stuff in the uh, sort of infrastructure inspection work. Oh, yeah. um, so you know. For your listeners or for folks that are that are out there, you know, we'd love to hear a little bit more about the use cases where you know mobile mapping hasn't been considered yet, or, or why. Yep. You know what people are are finding in the use cases there because uh, we think we've got a great product and ready ready to get the uh, folks all using it. That's nice. great. That's awesome. Hey, good to see you, Ben. Yeah, yeah, Thanks good to much. see you. Great for having yep. me on. Yeah, enjoy the rest okay. of the week. Thanks. Bye.
All right. Number two. Number two. We are <laughs> off off on a racetrack. It's going to be another record day. I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Prepare yourself. My friend. <laughs> All right. This is going to be a good one. Um, quick self-introductions, if you would. Aaron, you've been on already yesterday, right? This is my second one. Second one. one today yep. too. It's awesome. So just quick introduction. Name, who you're with, and uh, what you do. Sure. Aaron Newby. I'm the director of sales for the Americas. So U.S., Canada, South, South Latin America. Uh, I'm with Emerson. Uh, we make a unique LiDAR, uh, slam LiDAR solution. Yep, indeed you do. And we have uh, Dave, quick yep. introduction. Dave Lowe from Pointerra, um, Chief Revenue Officer, so I head up the sales in Australia and North America. Um, you know, Pointerra is a cloud-based digital twin platform, so we take all sorts of reality capture data, um, bring it together and allow asset owners to better understand the condition and, and the usage of their assets, whether they're, you know, smaller facility-type assets or, uh, you know, long linear assets like road, rail, power lines, utilities. Oh, yep. So you, you take point cloud data and then do something with it? 100%. So okay. yeah, we, we take point cloud data from basically any sensor, whether it's airborne, mobile, slam-based stuff like the Emerson work or uh, terrestrial scanning, and we'll you know, process that into a format that streams you know, really efficiently over the web and then allow um, asset owners to extract insight and information and better understand risk and condition and, and that sort of thing. So are, you guys aren't collecting the data, right? No, You're, don't do any collect okay. at all. We Got partner it. with guys like Emerson to, yeah. you know, best of breed solutions in that space, you know, stick in our lane, do what we do best, which is manage massive 3D data sets and allow people to extract insight. And how does that work? Is it like a subscription type yep. model? We're a SaaS platform, so it's okay. a subscription-based model, um, you know, a few different models, but basically around users and data volume. Got it. And then you said the the asset owners is it something you can pull up on the uh, from anywhere uh, yeah, on the web like real time in real time or yeah. yeah so you know fully SaaS we're cloud native so um, you know always been designed and engineered for the cloud we sit on the AWS uh, platform so and everything's browser based so no plugins no you know super high end desktop software um, you know no proprietary licensing so it's all cloud based so you can basically any device anywhere with an internet connection you can pull up and, and access massive data sets you know billions of points in a single unified point cloud um, and then start to visualize it and understand it yeah we've been talking a lot the last couple of days about the challenges managing these large you know data sets and you said something that was interesting that you guys have a way of efficiently, I think you said efficiently transferring files, you know, over the internet. Yeah. How? how? Like, how, explain yeah. that a little so, bit. I mean, that's basically why we exist. You know, the, the secret source behind Pointera is a proprietary data format. So we take standard data formats like LAS, LAZ, E57, all the standard data transfer formats and turn it into a proprietary format that we've got that allows us to, um, you know, really quickly just identify for the view that the client's looking at in the browser stream just those points so it allows us to to take you know a lot of that friction that you know particularly a lot of survey and mapping customs that we got had in transferring hard drives or you know sending thumb sure. drives or you know putting it into s3 buckets and then sending a link you can actually put it in the platform basically hit a share link send any size data across you know they just get a link they then can pull it up in exactly the same environment they can look at it they can collaborate on it they can mark it up if they want to download it they can but a lot of the work is done in the platform in a collaborative type environment so when you get the point clouds are they already already constrained and everything 
like if there's like you know survey control or whatever that's all sent to you already constrained right or, or do you guys do well we call well? ourselves an end-to-end -end platform so there's okay. you know there's certain customers that you know want us to do that whole piece so we'll okay. take the raw data and we'll consume it in a raw format and we'll process it through to a calibrated point cloud and then do whatever it is they want done with it whether it's classification or feature extraction or whatever but then you know with the emerson partnership for instance you know they've got aura they will produce a calibrated point cloud with you know, colorized with georeference imagery and then we'll consume that as a data set. So whilst we're end to end, we can actually take the data at any point in the cycle that, that makes sense to the client. Got it, got it. Then why is this a good partnership for you guys? Though? We're excited about it because like you said, we don't really have that end to end. What we can do is we can produce a brilliant point cloud, we can colorize it, uh, we can geolocate it. But what we cannot do is have an effective platform to share it. Uh, we just came out with the 360 imagery, and right, yeah. within Aura, we don't have the capabilities to allow people to visualize the point cloud next to the imagery. So for inspection purposes, it, it's a really good solution for us. It's not something we want to get into, so we lean on the best of the best to do that for us, which is why we're excited about the Point Terra partnership. I love it. I love it. Talk, talk a little bit more about the business model because I'm curious how that works. Like, Do you pay like a monthly subscription or is it a per process? It, it's a monthly, or? well, it's a monthly subscription. So you have a, you know, a base subscription to the platform that you know, gives you user licensing. Okay. Um, and then you know, we do have you know, some quite advanced analytics that sit behind that. And then depending on you know, the business, the size of the, the programs that they're okay. doing and, and how programmatic the approach might be, um, you know, there's a consumption type model on the analytics if needed. Or some customers just have an all you can eat where they just run analytics and away they go. Yep. Um, so for instance, with the, the uh, HoverMap partnership, you know, one of the things that we're really excited about is the opportunity in the AECO space, so you know, indoor scanning of facilities either you know, you know, currently working or in construction, and then you know, the analytics that we deliver to allow um, you know, the users to do clash detection, progress reporting, you know, compare the point cloud with the design model and understand you know, what's installed, what's not, you know, what's the change really quickly. So, you know, you can do that on a daily, weekly basis and have a really good understanding of how that construction project's going or, you know, what the condition of the asset is and what's changing over time and how they can better manage, um, you know, those facilities. So it's a pretty exciting partnership for us to sort of have that really streamlined process for the end customer where they can get out, capture data quick as anything and then get it into a platform where they can really start to make sense. And, like, what's the... I guess the demographic, for lack of a better word, of your customers. Like, what what does your client base look like? Uh, I mean, we sort of we serve six identified verticals. So, survey and mapping is a big part of that. So, you know, there's a lot of you know small, medium, large survey customers that are running around with terrestrial scanners, mobile scanners, drone-based stuff that need. Um, you know, uh, an efficient way to store and visualise and analyse all that data. So we have quite a few survey and mapping customers, and that's really where I cut our teeth. You know, when we when we started back in 2016, the survey and mapping industry was really our core customer base. Um, but since then, we've really pushed you know deeply into the utility sector, so power and water utilities, transport, so long linear assets. Um, you know, we do quite a bit of work in the in the mining and, and resource sector, so oil and gas, particularly. And again, another opportunity with the Emerson partnership is that oil and gas space where you've got super complex um, floating 
processing platforms where they want to scan, you know, regularly and compare that to their design models, you know, what the construction process is doing, but even, you know, using it for engineering design and, and maintenance fit out and those sorts of things. So how do they fabricate parts and know when they get to the site they're actually going to fit if they've got a maintenance shut down. So you're based in Australia? Australian company with a, okay. with a U.S. Leg. Oh, so we've got a okay. Pointera US Inc., which we established in 2018. Okay. So oh, okay. we've got a dozen or so people over here in the States yep. working hard to, to continue to build the business. A lot of opportunity over here. And how do you, like, what, what's like the turnaround time? And I'm sure it depends on the size of the project, but like, talk about the speed that you guys can turn this information around. Right. So the beauty of the, the platform being on AWS is it's fully scalable. So, um, you know, deployment is pretty much immediate so you know customers can get their data up you know, straight away they can you know, ingest directly from s3 bucks in aws or upload it through the through the internet but um once it's there the the scalability of the platform um you know we can spin up compute across aws really quickly and have you know thousands or tens of thousands of, of parallel instances running that you know we can churn through massive amounts of data really quickly so in the utility sector, for instance, um, you know we do a lot of work building digital twins in the in the distribution sector. So mm -hmm. pulling out poles and wires and guy straps and you know connection points, um, and all that's fully automated. And we just spin up, and we can do you know thousands of miles a day just pushing it through, um, you know, with really high precision extraction of those features. And then that allows us to sort of understand, or the utility to understand. You know, risk around engineering design, what poles are leaning, what's changed over time, are they, you know, how do they sort of best target their assets, either for veg management or uh, engineering to the areas of most risk. So, like, what are the advantages to a company uh, to using Pointera versus trying to do this in-house? Yeah. So it's speed and scale, you know, it yeah. really is, you know, as I say, immediately deployable, um, you know, there's a lot of work, you know, 10 plus years of, of uh, engineering, software engineering that sits in the background. You know, some really smart people that sit in an office in Perth and, and think all day about the products. All that heavy lifting is done. Right. Um, and, you know, you're immediately enabled to, to get out there and, um, you know, make most value out of the data because really, you know, the data is where everything starts. Once you collect it and you've got a point cloud, you've then got to give the customer some sort of answer from that. So. You know, what we do is enable the, the, that customer to get in there and, and really sweat that data asset and bring as much insight and, and intelligence from it as they possibly can, as quickly as they can, and you know, without them really needing to think about, well, what's all the, the engineering required behind it to get that answer. Yeah, yeah got it. Hmm. All right, Aaron, your turn. You know, I don't know what to add. What do you got to add to well, this? Well, the one, the one thing I could ask is, you said something is you guys deliver a beautiful point cloud and I'm, I'm I'm certain that this partnership works well is because the data that you can deliver makes it a really beautiful product for for these guys to turn around and, and like how is your point cloud so beautiful <laughs> and sure sure and maybe why do you use that term compared to oh, I just threw some there's some stuff stuff in the point cloud and they, they can clean it up later sure everybody knows slam is notorious for a little bit of slip and draft uh, the algorithm we use is the Wildcat SLAM algorithm, which varies. Uh, it's very different from the other SLAM algorithms out there. Uh, it's continually being updated. So by utilizing that uh, Wildcat SLAM algorithm, we can eliminate a lot of drift and get a much uh, more accurate point cloud. 
And with that, you know, ingesting it into the Pointera software just makes everything a lot easier. Uh, plus, we use the uh, Hesai XT32 uh, puck on our uh, STX, and the capabilities of that being on the Velodyne are exponentially better. Mm. One more question. What mm-hmm. role is AI playing in your process? Well, I, I mean, it's critical to, to everything that goes on you know, within you know, that 3D data analysis space at the moment. So, you know, with the ability to process and scale and, and analyze data at volume the way you do now, then you're you know, constantly learning from what you've done before. So building that um, you know, AI machine learning piece into what we do, mm. particularly when you're able to do med- multiple iterations very rapidly of the data, then you can gradually improve over time. So that AI component in, in what we do, whether it's from the LiDAR or some of the imagery solutions that we've got, um, you know, is really critical to getting the fastest, the best possible answer as quickly as you possibly can. So, you know, you're not reinventing the wheel over all the time. You're, you're learning over time and, and collecting information that allows those algorithms to improve every time they get run. So they get a little bit better, a little bit better, and, and before you know it, you're, you're sort of narrowing in and converging on perfection, which is you know, where we aim to get to. And since that's what you guys specialize in and that's all you're doing, I'm, I'm assuming those... You've had a lot more inter- iterations than others, so that's why you're, you've yeah. got 10 years of iterations behind it. And, and I can and see that. petabytes of data that's been thrown through the platform mm-hmm. that, that you know, we continually use and, and improve from. Yeah, that's cool. Good stuff. Anything else? Yeah, what else are you guys excited about? No, I'm excited about the event. It's been a really good event this year. Yeah. Uh, better than last year, I would have to say. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Great show. Yeah, no, we've, we've found it excellent. I think we were here last year, too. I think it's a... You know, lifted a level from last year. The inquiry and the traffic through the booth, and you know, just the, I guess, the excitement around the U.S. market for, sure. you know, particularly 3D and point cloud, and how people can do more and and move from, you know, particularly all the people that we're talking to are about how do they move from a data collector mm. to a solution provider. Mm. And certainly, we see ourselves playing a role in enabling them to do that. You know, we we have a software solution that. You know, is an enabler. We don't want to do the work for them. You know, we want to provide them a solution that enables them to to turn that data into real, you know, higher value chain assets. Yeah. Cool yeah. stuff. Hey, good stuff. Thanks for your time, guys. Yeah, thank thanks, you, Dave. We're going to see you in Phoenix, right? See yeah, that's Phoenix right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Thank, thank you, Dave. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you, Sean. What's that you found? What's on your mind? You know this won't take long We'll be out in time We'll keep it moving along We'll keep it alive Ready, set, go. Let's go. <laughs> Are you, is there a delay here or something? What is happening? Well, just because it, the countdown hits zero doesn't mean it's going. It has to, like, start. There's oh, like now, a, now you tell me. Yes, yeah, we've yes, been doing a, this all this time, and now you tell me there's a. Well, delay. You're supposed to wait for me to point at you. Oh, okay. The point. We're going back to the point. We're going now. back to the point. It's Fair going enough. old school. Fair enough. All right. Uh, <laughs> Keeping up, this going. Let's go. Yeah, we're on fire right now. The momentum's amazing. We have Patrick with us, and we have Travis with us, and we're going to let you guys do just some self introductions, name who you're with, what you do. Patrick, why don't you go first? So, so this is Travis, and, oh, <laughs> <laughs> and started over. And, and so no, this is this is part of the going. authenticity of the going. geoholics. Yeah. <laughs> so 
once again, Travis, uh, I'm with EagleView, um, senior product leader focused on commercial imagery strategy, uh, working with Patrick. Yeah, and I'm Patrick Gill. I'm the general manager of our imagery and emerging markets business at EagleView, and Travis is my product partner. So tell us about EagleView. Yeah, you guys are you know neighbors to us. I've literally right. been staring at this sign Same. for a day and a half now. Yep. What is EagleView? Sure. EagleView is an aerial imagery and property insights business. We've been around for about 25 years. You might know us by pictometry, which is how that started 25 years ago. And we've got the largest historical archive of high resolution aerial imagery from which a whole variety of property insights can be derived. 130 planes, 25 years, 300 patents. Wow. So we've, you know, we've been around for a while and, and we're doing some cool stuff. So property insights, what do you mean by that? whole variety of, of uh, different answers to that across industries. So certainly there's situational awareness. Um, so in our government sector, we have 911 uh, integration. We have tax assessment, so grading condition of a property for tax assessment, change detection, how that property has changed. So if your taxes go up, you might have to blame us. Sorry about that. Uh, on, the, on the private sector side, so architecture, engineering, construction, base map, imagery. Uh, we also have this kind of emerging space of property data. So what we've done is we've, we've begun capturing a lot more of the US. We already have about 94% of where people live captured, but now we're capturing the top 50 urban areas at least once a year in high resolution. And we're talking to a whole variety of different companies, partners, customers, about what you can do with that. So you can pull like roof condition or roof age from that. You can understand, say, the valuation of a property in terms of real estate or even the valuation of a portfolio of properties as far as mortgage. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just a whole variety of different things we're doing with telco companies, um, infrastructure, energy companies. Uh, there's just a kind of an explosion in this community of what you can do with that type of imagery. And so that's the property insight side. And when you, meant, you, when you mentioned that type of imagery, how, how good are we getting here? I mean, you said age of roof tiles. I mean, how... Can I get like cracks in the asphalt? I mean, how how, how 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 small are we talking? Yeah, well, I'll start and Travis can finish because he's the technical guy, as you, as you might imagine, <laughs> just looking at him. Right. But uh, we're talking, we go below one inch in terms of GSD, so essentially resolution. And yes, you can see cracks in the sidewalk, cracks in a parking lot. We do a lot of parking lot management. You can see leaks in a pipeline. We do vegetation management with that, asset management, cracks in a cross beam or arcing between power lines. You uh, can do a uh -huh. whole variety of different things with that, but I'm sure I'm sure Travis can add on. Yeah, in addition to just what you can see top down, uh, we have the industry leading obliques uh, from a quality perspective. So that gives you a 360 perspective of each property, essentially. And what that does is give an assessor or uh, someone in AEC a way to do a virtual inspection without even stepping foot on the ground. And if you need to go that next level, we also have um, products in the construction space, such as our drone solution, which allows you to assess a house for, say, a hail strike or cracked shingles. Um, and then our additional products, data products, allow you to kind of go that next step with our partners in the construction space um, and add a level of detail to your analysis to help complete and add value to your workflow. Add value, make friends. Yeah, that is our, that is our motto. <laughs> is there a tattoo for that? <laughs> Not yet. Yeah, that's uh, that's episode five hundred. <laughs> you heard it here first. You heard it here what, first. What are we up to? Well, we just passed two hundred. Okay. Hold on. All right. Hold on. Stay safe for a while. Technically, two hundred fifty. 
Uh oh. Yeah. Well. Yeah. The, going to places so we're like halfway this. There. So we're halfway there. If we get to five hundred. Well, I'll get it. Somebody write, write that down. Yeah. yeah. Write it down. It is immortalized now. <laughs> um. So, are, are you guys like talk about the business model? Is this a subscription? I mean, what? How does this work? Yeah. So we we do have subscription. We do we do custom projects. So um, bespoke flights. In fact, that's been a lot of our history. Um, but now moving towards more of what we call like a programmatic approach, which would be subscription. So yes, you could subscribe and, and from a different industries, you'd subscribe different ways. So for instance, in the insurance space, we're talking about disaster response mm -hmm. as a, as a subscription, because as, as you can imagine insurance companies, there's a lot to learn after a disaster hits of, of all different types. So yeah, that, that is one option, but we, we bring it to you. We bring the imagery to you or the data to you a whole bunch of different ways. So you can sort of choose how you want that. Yeah, so let me ask real quick. Uh, if I was to say helping a client manage all of their parking lots and I was helping them, what would that subscription look like? Because it's going to be in urban areas, so I'm guessing you're not doing special imaging just for that. You're already doing it once a year anyway, and that's kind of what you're saying is I can just hop on pay a couple bucks a month and then have access to whatever you're doing in all those different markets. Is that right? More than a couple bucks, but yes, I'll, uh, yeah. I'll, let, uh, I'll, let, I'll let Travis <laughs> continue. So you really have two options. You can be entitled to a given area within our library. Okay. And as that area is refreshed, you'll get access to the new imagery. Hmm. In addition, and this is really big in our infrastructure space, we can capture corridors, right? So we have, with the aircraft we have, we set aside capacity to help support our infrastructure customers, whether it's oil and gas, um, telecom, you know, electrical. Uh, so we do uh, real-time collection based on their specifications. And so that's another option. So th there's a lot of options within EagleView, within our portfolio and our partners. Sure. Are you guys doing anything with satellites collecting imagery? We don't collect from satellites, but uh, we, we have conversations all the time with partners about being together and, and bringing all that image, all those imagery sources together along with the drone side of things. Yeah. We think a, a holistic solution would be all those different capture technologies and modalities. Um, but what what we do is much higher resolution than satellite. And so the use cases are, are much different. Mm -hmm. You couldn't pull all those property insights from satellite imagery. Right. Uh, so talk a little bit, Travis, about the, the delivery. How, how am I going to get all of this, all these fancy images? And I'm sure it's a lot of data. So how is just me and my computer going to take advantage of it? Once again, there's a lot of options to kind of service the broad customer uh, base that we have. So we recently uh, released something called EagleView Developer. So it's a self-service platform that allows the customer to go on there, play around with our data products, and soon our new imagery capabilities, such as our enhanced WMTS, our new imagery APIs come in. And we also have a platform. We have our legacy platform, EagleView uh, Connect Explorer, and now EagleView Cloud, which is our future platform that we're going to be able to do a lot. All of our new capabilities for solar, for our drone solutions will be on there. So it'll be a one-stop shop to work with EagleView. Hmm. Interesting. Yes, it is. Uh, so talk about your, like the demographic of your client or customer base. What does that look like? Um, as far as industries goes, real estate, architecture, engineering, energy, oil, gas, uh, mortgage, telco. Um, and then different government offices like tax assessment, public safety, public works, of GIS offices. Uh, and then we also do a lot in the roofing space, which is where the EagleView brand actually started. If pictometry started in tax assessment and government, EagleView really started with roof measurements and roofing. Um, huh. And so in construction, we've got that whole business as well. 
And what do you guys try to get out of a conference like this? Uh, well, two things. One, thought leadership. We try to do our own. We try to always be learning and, and meet folks. And, uh, and so, you know, that's one. Um, and then two, you know, quite selfishly, leads, um, whether they be partnerships we're interested in or, or customers. Uh, those are the two things that we're always looking for in these conferences and to make connections like uh, like we're hopefully making right now. But I guess you guys will be the judge of that. <laughs> well, what does a, what does an ideal partnership look like for you guys? Yeah, well, I would say um, and how I define partner here would be like uh, somebody, you know, we talked about satellite. Travis talked about drone. Um, there's also LIDAR, et cetera, right? So capture is sort of one element of partnership. Data derivation is another. We don't pretend to know all the different data derivatives that could come from our imagery. And that's where this GIS ecosystem is, has been awesome because uh, companies coming from where they are, their sector, their interests have brought us ideas that we would not have come up with on our own. So some of those industries that reeled off weren't on our radar a few years ago. Hmm. They put themselves there. And so we're building things together that are that are pretty interesting. So your, uh, your imagery, does it follow like ESPRS? Standards. Thank God Travis is here to answer that. <laughs> FGDC2, right? Absolutely. We have a, a dedicated team working closely with ASPS and other standard groups to ensure that um, the whole perspective of the industry is captured. Um, we have unique proprietary camera systems um, as part of the standards, so making sure that they know what's in the realm of the possible and what people are using within the industry. And everything's not just a standardized kind of system. So what it does is make sure that we have an equitable uh, set of standards that can best service the industry. Hmm. Interesting. You guys, I, I just, Travis and Patrick, it's like Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Think about that. Is, that, this, we, is that the first time you've gotten the, that this week? Team. You, guys got a, we, you guys are a great team, obviously. We think that, too. You uh, are a championship no. team. You know, we, we really are. We really are. And But Travis is not dating Taylor Swift, so uh, unfortunately. But don't, don't tell my wife that. Yet. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> There's still a chance. <laughs> what else you guys got? Yeah, what are you yeah, excited about? What are you excited about? Um, well, you know, I would say the more imagery piece we're excited about, all the different applications of it we're excited about. I, I would just kind of, you know, in closing say we're open to ideas. And so people have been coming by our booth. We've been talking about those. Um, but essentially, if you've got a thought about how high-resolution aerial imagery could be used, we would love to talk to you about it. And if you're particularly, honestly, if you're not in one of those industries that I talked about, because there's plenty more, obviously, and we think that there's, again, applications of it that we have not even come up with as a community. So that's, that's what we're open to, and that's what we hope to get more of. Yep, pretty exciting. How about you, Travis? The same thing. Willingness to partner. I'm... I'm relatively new here at the company, and we came in, and the last two years have been a splash, right? New thought, new thinking throughout the company, and opportunities on how we can deploy our services throughout the industry, and new market service. So all it, everything's like brand new, and everything's moving really fast from my standpoint. So really excited. This year's going to be a big one for us, and uh, like Patrick spoke to, like uh, a lot of work to do, but through new partnerships and new, uh, new markets, we're going to be doing big things. Awesome. Sounds exciting. Great way to end it. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, awesome. appreciate you stopping by. Thank you. My thoughts are bad and you know why. I can't sleep at night. You couldn't in the dark. You couldn't in the Okay.
We're back. We are. Fast and furious. Indeed, indeed. It's a great day. Great day so far. Already had some great interviews. This is going to be one uh, one of those as well. Old friend, Mark yeah, Oldman. You, yeah, you'll recognize the voice. Yep. So, hey Mark, guys, just real quick, remind folks who you're with and kind of what you do. So, I'm with Edry. I am the AEC Industry Solutions Director, which means I try to be the voice of the company out into the architecture, engineering, construction, and environmental consulting industries about the great things that GIS can do. Uh, keeps me pretty busy on the road, on great podcasts, talking to friends like yourselves. Right. And a new friend of the program for That's 2024. Right. Oh, yeah. I yes. mean, thank you for your support. Oh, We're no, so excited this, to have you guys on board. This will be a great channel for us to get the word out. Love Absolutely. Yeah, we love it. Definitely. And speak about getting the word out. What's new? What is new? Um, what's new here at GeoWeek is all about our ArcGIS Reality Suite. Okay. A couple of years ago, we acquired, well, about four years ago, we acquired some technology that led to a product called SightScan, Sight which is all okay. about planning your drone flights, executing them, uh, analyzing the data, sharing the data in one really brilliant, easy to use application. Uh, we then a couple of years ago acquired some technology that allowed us to do some really great, called meshification, generating the meshes out of photogrammetry and out of LIDAR point cloud type data. We combined that into a single suite called ArcGIS Reality Suite. And it is some of the most compelling capabilities in the world of reality capture as far as easy to use, super powerful, mm -hmm. amazing output. These meshes that are down to, I think, three centimeter accuracy That's we're crazy. showing in the, in the booth wow. of the entire city of Boston flown over by another partner of ours, Blue Sky, okay. that just, you know, you look at and you think you're looking at a video of a flight, and Crazy. then you realize that you can actually, you know, move your camera view to wherever you want and pick any two points on the city and get, you know, the distance between them, and then start to overlay all your GIS layers on top of it, demographics and weather and traffic flow. Oh, my gosh. It's pretty cool. It's like GIS on steroids. Basically. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, the idea of what G GIS is in a lot of people's heads still, yeah. you know, it's 2D maps. Yeah. It's, it's the map that I need so to get much the more permit. Now. It's 3D. Right. It's you know, the color quality visualization, weather, you know, yeah. simulations in the GIS environment. It's it's nothing like you. It's not it's not your uh, it's not your grandpa's GIS. Right, right. So who are your like what, what's what's like the demographic of your your customers, or your clients when it comes to this new uh, this um, new suite? Let's see. Who's just going to be better? Right, right. The most. You know, it's a pretty broad range. It's going to be you know through. The lens that I tend to, to put on is architecture, engineering, construction, sure. environmental. So it's going to be firms who are doing work where capturing reality is going to help them get a better understanding of existing conditions mm -hmm. and then overlay their plans on top of it to convey you know, what a new river shed is going to look like, to show what a you know, highway going through town is going to actually look like from any angle you might want <laughs> at a level of visualization that yeah. just leaves no, no questions about you know, what the existing conditions are. In fact. Uh, the, the, the product was just used by a firm, HNTB, yep. who does some great work here in Denver, mm. actually a six-mile stretch of the Platte River that really has kind of gone without a whole lot of improvements over many years. Mm -hmm. So they grabbed some imagery from Vexel, uh, brought it into our products, visualized the existing conditions, overlaid mm -hmm. their plans, which was a combination of sort of some CAD and some BIM and Got some other GIS layers and presenting in this sort of a slideshow effect mm -hmm. what this six-mile stretch could look like and what the impact would be on downtown and all the, the stakeholders. So from the perspective of you know, sort of the built world, that's just one example. So it almost sounds like it's getting closer to full design from the imagery. I mean, you, you talk about, like, it, it just seems like the, 
uh, you know, talk about the river example, it's almost, it, it's, I, I guess I'm trying to, trying to say, it's like you can get a concept or you used to be able to get a concept. And now with what you have, you can al almost get full design. Just well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, that was actually one of the bits in this article that we wrote was that HMTV said, yeah, we've always done 3D and we've been using GIS but there's been a gap. We haven't really been using great visualization, great 3D in that planning and early design stage, but now we have it. Yeah, it that... helps us understand the project. It helps us convey to the owner, in this case, the city, we know what we're doing. Right. We understand yeah. the conditions. It's not just a conceptual sketch. It's not just some lines on a piece of paper. This is what it really looks like, and we know it better than anyone. So, you know, give us the project. You say it. that so better than I tried to. <laughs> well, you know, I put together an article already on it. I, sure, know, sure. I, I kind of had that in my back pocket. <laughs> but yeah, that's it's that bridging of the gap yeah. where it used to be okay. Here's some pictures. This should work, but we really got to get in and get all kinds of crazy detail and a bunch of scans, and then get full design before we know what the impacts are. Yeah. Now you're going to know what almost all of those impacts are, and then the design piece is just this little last, okay, let's make some plans that match what we see. Right. That's so, amazing. Yeah. You mentioned um, like draping a uh, surface over imagery, basically. Is that, is that nerf? Because I've heard no. this term nerf a lot lately. Yeah. It was, it came up in a session that I did yesterday. Um, it's not nerfs. Okay. And I'm not going to get into that because I don't know enough about sure. it to I get it. be yeah. dangerous. Um, no. So what this is, you know, imagine flying, you know, an airplane at a couple thousand feet. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a private pilot a student, at least, so I can more than imagine it. I've done it. Sure. <laughs> uh, I want to do it again. I need, I, I need to get up in a plane again. But so you're flying overhead, and you're taking pictures at, um, at multiple angles. And you're stitching those pictures together using photogrammetry to actually create a 3D model. That 3D model is at this three centimeter accuracy of the mesh, Amazing. but it's also you're using the photographs to drape over the scene so it's photo quality. Wow. So it's not just That's like a, it's not just a top-down view that drapes and gets kind of stretched out and kind of weird. Yeah. You're using the multiple views that the cameras are taking mm -hmm. and stitching them together so that even down to ground level mm -hmm. where the building hits the street and the curbs, you know, run along the street and might only be six inches high, yeah. you're getting that relief. You're getting and, that kind of detail. And that's just from the different angles yeah. that they're capturing. Amazing. Right. Incredible. Incredible. Um, so why do we need all these fancy lasers? Just take bunch of pictures from all different well, angles. Well, here at the show, there's actually, I think, like four or five companies who are flying planes, renting their planes out, um, or there's the companies who are selling the cameras yeah. to the plane, you know, the, the, the pilots and the, and the, the crews. Um, so it's a good show for me to see all these fun toys. Oh, sure. sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so what about this show? Well, we, we just talked a little bit, but how was this show compared to last year's, yeah. and uh, what do you think about the, the week so far? So I'm, I live here in Denver, so this is a fairly yeah, easy right, one for right. me to get away um, from home to get to. Yeah. Uh, three years ago, we were here with masks on. It was you know, right at the end yep. of COVID. And we, Esri, had a 10 by 20 booth, pop-up back stand, a few of us supporting it, came in on a Sunday morning, had the booth built out in an hour. Last year, we I think I doubled our space, maybe to a 20 by 20 and it was growing. The show was growing. This year, we've got a huge space. We might have yeah. one of the biggest booths here. We've got well over a dozen folks, and it's just smart. It has been so busy. And I understand next year, this show is going to double in size. Is yeah. it really? That's what I heard. And I'm not surprised. That huh. the, you know, it's starting to slow down a little bit here, day three, sure. half day. Yeah. I was shocked on Super Bowl Sunday. How many people, people yeah. were here? Yeah, yeah. I was shocked. As I was well. really expecting it to just be, you know, bowling down the alleys I, kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, no, it's been busy for us. 
a lot of leads, a lot of interest. It's awesome. Uh, it's a good show for us. Yeah. Um, back to, you know, utilizing the suite that you're describing. Um, do you need like a specific, like what's the computer power that's needed to get, you know, yeah. take full advantage of this? It's, it's interesting you bring that up. I had some good conversations with the, the folks from Dell and NVIDIA, oh. who are one of the sponsors of, yep. of a booth here talking exactly about that. Mm -hmm. You know, we're a little bit different than, let's say, someone who's doing CAD or BIM work mm -hmm. where you could not throw enough RAM or get a big mm -hmm. enough video card, right. GPU, and be happy. There's, yep. some, there's a project that's going to bog you down. And you're gonna yeah, no matter what, you're going yeah, right. to bounce up against the threshold. Exactly. Right, right. We're, we don't quite see that with GIS. Um, and I think it's just the different way in which we're architected. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that we do a lot of our heavy computing, we throw out to the cloud. Um, but certainly, you know, you're yeah. not going to the same. You're not going to use a Chromebook mm -hmm. to do this kind of work. Yeah. But the the kind of, of computer that you would use for engineering processes, the the computer certainly that you're using to do your your CAD and BIM mm -hmm. modeling, drawing, visualization, is is plenty fine for mm -hmm. the majority of the work because we throw a lot of the heavy computing mm -hmm. out to the cloud in a lot of cases. Right. Right. And in fact, part of that suite that I mentioned, this um, this reality suite includes purely mobile and iPad-based workflows. So you oh, wow. plan out your drone flight mm -hmm. on your, your, your PC, you then go with your iPad mm -hmm. out into the field and you run your drone flights on an iPad. And then in the cloud, the information is being processed and analyzed and being made ready to be a layer in your map that you might consume back, back on your desktop. So it's kind of this hybrid of cloud, mobile, desktop computing. Interesting. So what's the business model look like? What does the business model look like? Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're an interesting um, company. I hesitate. I actually, I told my son who got out of uh, college not too long ago, um, you know, as he was out looking for jobs, no two companies are the same. Right. Like, don't, don't expect what you're going to, you know, some boilerplate that I just need to, you know, know the answer for every single interview I go on. Yeah. All companies are, are different. So Esri, we're a 55-year-old company. We were founded by Jack Dangerman and his wife back when they left Harvard School of Design and Environmental Management, I believe. And uh, to this day, we are a 5,000-person private company hmm. with about 3,000 partners and half a million customers and 10 times that the number of users. And then around the globe, we have distributors who represent us. So Esri UK or Esri hmm. India or Esri Ireland, who are independent companies but look like us, but know their market. Right. So uh, we have direct salespeople we go to trade shows and conferences and get on you know great podcasts like this and write articles talking about all the things we do across many many industries if someone is looking for software typically the answer is you know come to our website to learn more yeah and uh, you know, click the link and someone will give you a call because yeah. it's typically not you're not going to buy software off our website download it and start running it in most sure. cases mm. it tends to be a conversation that leads to uh, yeah. what you really need it just seems like the biggest company I haven't done this for a couple years now seems like the biggest company that everybody uses and I have no idea how it works oh, like it just seems like it's ingrained everywhere in, everywhere no it is <laughs> we've been around for so long we pretty well defined the world of GIS yeah There's plenty yeah. of other players in it and we've got some you know strong competitors we've got some partners who also compete with us in a, interesting ways but yeah we are pretty much the largest player in the world of GIS and um, and yeah, and yet at the same time, 
I've heard of you, but I don't really know what you do. <laughs> exactly. I've so it, seen that, yeah. but I don't know exactly right. what, what oh, it is. Oh, yeah. I used you in college <laughs> in my engineering class. You guys do uh, ArcGIS Pro, right? Yeah. Okay. And it leads to really fun conversations yeah. when we show all the things that we're doing now compared to what someone might have known us about uh, sure. just a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. Uh, so what else? What else are you excited about? What else am I excited about? Well, I mean, um, you just said this is a new launch for. Well, for the, we actually or, launched it last year. Okay. But you know, as is typical, it takes a while for the word to get out, for people to get their hands on it, for us to have customer stories to tell. And now we're at a point where the the stories that we're telling are really compelling, like the one I mentioned in, right, in yeah. the article HNTB. Um, you know, it's great to get together with others, other Esri folk at this show. We've got folks from Germany, and I think some from Switzerland, and certainly our a lot of folks live in Denver at Esri. But to bring everyone together and have our product managers and product engineers and solution engineers all together for three days helps all of us at Esri yeah. understand things a little bit better than we might know when we just kind of work within our individual silos. So that's always fun. Sure. And I'm sure you don't know what other use cases are out there right. until you meet with your own No, folks. exactly. <laughs> um, I'm doing a, a conference in a few weeks on AI and AEC. And I've got some content and I reached out to our product managers. And then I went over to one of our kiosks in the booth and saw video after video after video of AI. Like, oh, Jaron, you got to tell me all about those. And you got to put those on a, on a OneDrive somewhere for me because right? I'm presenting these in four yeah. weeks. You yes. didn't know that, did you? Yeah. I didn't know that until and, I just saw them. And then you didn't want somebody in the audience saying, hey, yeah, by the way. Right, right, right. Yeah, 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 let's, let's keep this on the down low because right. I, don't, I don't want anyone to know what I'm presenting. I, I guess I just, uh, I just told your audience. Right. Uh, it's funny. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. Um, Really appreciate you stopping by. Yeah, good to see you. Always fun to you talk guys. to you guys. You know, yeah, it's great. And it's yeah. great to be on board with Geoholics. I think yeah, you thank guys you so much great, for support. Uh, appreciate great it. Great service. Yeah, yeah, Thanks. great. All right, then. Enjoy the rest of the week. What's left of it? You too, guys. Take Thanks. care. Bye. We are on fire. <laughs> I think we've started the last three interviews by saying that exact same thing. Um, no, I just I, it's, there's a little changes each each, you think each time. So? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regardless, we'll, we'll go back rolling. to the, we'll go back to the tape. We are rolling. All right, this is gonna be a great conversation. So, just real quick introduction. Just give us your name, who you're with, and kind of what you do. Absolutely. So, my name is Madison, and I work with Spectier. We are a hyperspectral company. So, we we're an aerial company, and we do surveying and data processing. So hyperspectral. Correct. You're going to have to give me a Expand couple on that just a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So hyperspectral is a type of camera that can detect a lot more color than the human eye okay. and then traditional um, RGB cameras. And so we can detect at a really fine detail different wavelengths along the along the electromagnetic spectrum. <laughs> and um, with that, we have really precise um precise identification of different materials interesting okay so I'm, I'm going into a million different places that this can go what's the what what type of materials or what do you what, what's some the, applications? Yeah, what, are the, what are the biggest applications so the most famous or claim to fame application that hyperspectral is used in is mineral exploration mm. because it can detect different um, soil types and, and minerals at a really fine detail so every material on Earth, it has a unique spectral signature 
our unique reflection on the electromagnetic spectrum and our cameras can detect all of those minute differences. So it can tell the difference between a, a pixel of a granite per se versus a pixel of gold. What the? And can you get down to like element composition that low? I mean, are we talking about you can tell how much sulfur or whatever is in soils based on that wavelength? Yes, I mean, it really depends on the resolution um, that, you're, that you're surveying at. Our, our cameras, because we do aerial fixed-wing surveys, we it's anywhere between 0.5 meters and 5 meters, the resolution that sure. we're surveying at. Yep. But also, um, other other people in the industry, like TerraCore, uh, they, they actually survey cores, like mining cores, mm -hmm. and they're at a very fine centimeter detail. They can tell the, the composition of different materials. Okay, so you're more on the, on the bigger plane scale exactly we're 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 doing more of the wide angle lens of, of landscape landscape for hyperspectral but it can go down to very very fine detail as well sounds really complicated sean i mean that's that that's right up your alley right not anywhere <laughs> near my alley well, how in the world did you get into this um so i i like to say it was a happy stumble um i i did my my master's degree in geospatial data analysis and had heard the word hyperspectral a few times, but yeah. didn't didn't really know much about it. And then um, I was living in Ireland actually, and doing my masters there. I'm originally from Reno, Nevada, and that's where Spectere is headquartered. Okay. And I saw a job for a remote sensing specialist come up, and that was the the field that it was in. So. And the stars aligned, and you you moved and, back home, and, and here we are. And here we are. Yes. Wow. Here we are at Geo Week. It's right? our first Geo Week too. Oh, so. cool. What do you think so far? It's it's a lot of energy, yeah. and um, it's really exciting to see all of the, the yeah. development here. But we I don't see much hyperspectral, and so uh, I, I, there is a, there's a lot of stuff around here, and to find something that's unique mm -hmm. is pretty rare. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about who's your end client, like who, who utilizes this, this the most? I would say 90% of our clientele is in mineral exploration. Um, and there's, there's a few reasons behind that. First of all, our data is very expensive to acquire. Um, mm. it's, it's data that has to be flown with near perfect weather, with a perfect solar angle. And so a lot of times our deployments, they're very extensive because we have to rely so heavily on the, the weather. Um, so that, that makes our, our acquisition very expensive. And then also because they're such complex data sets, it seems that no other industry really has the built-in expertise to be, able to, um, to be able to interpret that data or handle it. And so... Mining both has the, the budgets and the expertise to, to realize the power of hyperspectral, but one of our big goals is to try to spread the technology into other applications as well, hmm. because it really is only our imagination that can limit us on the, the amount of applications that can be useful for. It can, it can add incredible dimensions to data. You're gonna have to give me an example. I mean, I know you've thought of different different ways to use this, even though it's not currently happening, where do, what do you think would be the best place outside of mining? So the, the industries that we're really interested in targeting are precision agriculture. And um, you're going to have to tell me what precision agriculture is. <laughs> no problem. And, and also forestry, um, fire detection. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, I can see that. Any, yeah. Anything with vegetation analysis, pollution. Um, and so, like I said, it is limitless, but with precision agriculture, 
we can tell at a very fine detail plant health, soil, soil composition, um, yeah, exactly how a plant is. You know, we, we could, if you put two apples next to each other and they visually look the same to the human eye, mm -hmm. we can tell which one has mold and, and a parasite in the skin versus not, even if they look exactly the same. And, and so, are you saying you can do that? when the apples on the tree uh, well, from the plane yeah. <laughs> uh, well the apple the apple example is it's it's a little bit small it, it, for the aerial it, survey, it's okay if it's a little pie in the sky did you get that <laughs> it's it's a little bit small for the aerial survey but okay. we can we can tell trends of trees definitely and and wow. see yeah see see what trees are sick what you're performing well um, I was just talking to a group yesterday that were interested in, in using hyperspectral to look at solar panel health mm. and to see which um, which cells on solar panels yep. were were functioning, which weren't. I mean, I, I, I'm guessing you could get pretty pretty precise with that and get down to a pretty good efficiency off of solar panels, right? I mean, Absolutely. How I mean, basically, how much dust in a but in a really really yeah. finite amount. For sure. So are you guys developing these sensors in-house or do you have partners that you work with? So we, we do not develop our sensors in-house. We work with Speckum Instruments and yep. they're out of Finland. Um, they're really the leaders in the industry. And Finland has, has always been um, the, the main producer of hyperspectral sensors. Um, but yeah, we, we definitely do not have the, the expertise to, to build yeah. them. Yeah. We just use them and try not to break them. That's yeah. our... Our yeah. goal. Tell us a little more about the company. Like, why, why do you like working there? What makes it great? So we're a very small team where um, there's around 12 of us in office and, and some other contractors that we work with. But working in a small environment, you get a taste of everything. You can, I, I'm an operator there. Um, and so I get to go up in the plane and oh, wow. do the data collection. Very cool. Um, but I also get to come here and, and talk about right. the cameras as, as well. And so I think working in a small team, it gives you so much dimensionality yeah. and it allows you to work in, in so many different parts. Are you guys collecting any imagery or anything using satellites or is everything plane based? Everything is plane based. Um, you know, there there is a big movement of hyperspectral satellites launching in the coming years. Um, Aster from NASA in the past has really been the only hyperspectral satellite but its resolution is is very low and um, it's very difficult data to work with. And so we're seeing new new companies like Pixel and Planet, they're, they're starting to release hyperspectral satellites. And so I think the discussion around hyperspectral will grow. Sure. But um, Spectre, we're, we're in the middle of resolution between the satellites and the drones. Um, and we're, we're that middle ground between all Got of it. it. Interesting. Very much so. So uh, one more question. You got your master's in geospatial, what was it? Geospatial data analysis. Data analysis. What was your undergrad in? It was in geography and economics. Okay. So how? what put you down that path? I, um, I just have always been fascinated by maps and yeah, exploring, exploring the world that way. And yeah. geography, it just was always a, a passion. And I never knew that I could make such an exciting career out of it. But... Yeah. Yeah. So I cool. Here, here. Good for you, right? Congrats. Absolutely. What else are you excited about before we wrap up here? In in remote sensing? Yeah, or? like just what do you what, what are you excited about in the next five years in this space in your in your in your job? I think um, I think this technology that I've been seeing here outside of hyperspectral too 
it really is just magic what we can the insights that we can derive from the planet and so i'm excited to just collectively understand how our how our planet works through remote sensing technologies and and hopefully implement solutions that can safeguard those processes with i got one more question <laughs> just came to mind and better late <laughs> right. than ever go for it um so was it remote sensing that helped locate like these cities in the jungle or old you know villages in the jungle that they didn't even know existed but they found them as a result of doing aerial imagery is that remote sensing that is so i, uh, I believe that would be lidar the um, lidar thing okay yeah got it like the yeah. finding the mayan civilizations and yeah. everything yeah right. so that would be lidar but yeah. uh, the applications of remote sensing i mean it's like i said limited only by our imagination exactly yeah, yeah. Too cool. Good stuff. Hey, thank you so much. Yeah, Absolutely. thanks for Great to meet by. you. Nice to meet you too. Thank yeah. you for having me. And this happens all the time. I can't sleep at night. That was impressive. <laughs> that was. Did we get that on video? Uh, well, not not going in. Dang it. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? He throws his cup across the thing and somehow makes it into the garbage basket. Hey, Impressive. Hey, play basketball on Sundays. That's what it takes. <laughs> uh, so we're back. We are. We are indeed. We have Galen with us. Galen, real quick, just self-introduction. Kind of just name who you're with and kind of what you do. Sure. Uh, my name is Galen Scott. I'm with NOAA's National Geodetic Survey. Uh, I've been there for about 20 years now. And oh, wow. I'm, I'm a geek translator i explain the science to people that don't don't get it yeah yeah so how do you explain the science at a level to help people get it because i know a lot of folks like yourself that are incredibly intelligent but have a difficult time describing it or educating about it because it's so high level have you ever thought that maybe you just aren't smart enough to understand it i no no okay. thought about right. that. fair enough no. fair enough you know, it, it is a challenge, right? Like, yeah. You know, people's people's eyes glaze over if you use too big a word. Or, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, just trying to make it simple, make mm -hmm. it you know relatable. Sure. Make it uh, use smaller words. Right. <laughs> explain explain acronyms. That's a uh, you know. Yeah. NOAA is National Organization for the Advancement of Acronyms. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's yeah. great for sure. <laughs> so how did you get into this? I. I backed into it. I ended up, uh, I got a degree from Johns Hopkins uh, in environmental science and policy. And, okay. Uh, yep. Applied to what's, what was called the Presidential Management Fellowship Program. Okay. And I, uh, you know, that, that allows you to apply for a bunch of different federal jobs. Um, I didn't even know what geodesy was when I applied for the job. I, in fact, I misspelled geodesy in my first email to the director. <laughs> um, but they wanted somebody that was, you know, had an outside perspective that could, uh, that could explain things. Yeah. And, you know, so I learned enough about it uh, over the years to explain it to the budget weenies and mm -hmm. people like my mom. So when it comes to geodesy, were you like self-taught then? Well, I'm not a geodesist. I'm not a surveyor. I pretty much learned all of it from, you know, from being on the job. Sure. Okay. And, uh, yeah, talking to the folks at NGS that yeah. you know, have been doing it for a long time. And how has geodesy changed? So you've been, so you've been doing this for 20 years. Yes, sir. How has geodesy changed or evolved over the last 20 years? 
Well, it's, it's been about 16, 16 years now that we've been working on replacing the datums. Yep. Right? So, you know, we're, we've been building up to a big change. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you explain to your mom what replacing the datums is? <laughs> well, I use a, uh, uh, I use a joke. It's a visual one, so it might not translate <laughs> here, but I ask them about, you know, have they, have they heard the joke about the one-armed fisherman? And I say, I've got a fish this big, just put one arm out. <laughs> and then, right, and then put the left hand out, right? And the, yeah. the left hand's the datum, right? Ah, but, I like you know, that. Okay, all right, right, all right. Yeah. So you're talk, you just mentioned big changes coming. Yes, sir. Talk about the status of that just a little bit. Sure. So for 16 years, we've been uh, flying airborne gravimetry missions uh, over the entire U.S. and all the territories. Um, so collecting gravity data from, from the airplane. Uh, and that just hit 100% completion uh, about two or three weeks ago. Oh, wow. oh really? Okay. Yeah. So they, the, the, uh, the, it's GRAVD, one of my favorite acronyms. Gravity. gravity. Yep, GRAVD. Gravity for the redefinition of the American vertical datum. Yeah. So when you say gravity data, explain mm-hmm. that a little bit. So gravity is a function of mass. And right. so the value of gravity actually changes depending on the under, what's, what's underneath, basically the density of the rock. Sure. Um, and so as you come across the country, uh, as you get closer to the Rocky Mountains, the value, the, the, the pool of gravity gets stronger because of the enormous mass of the Rockies. Um, and so making a, a really accurate uh, map of, uh, of those gravity variations, yeah. uh, that's what's going to serve as the foundation for the new vertical data. Okay. So is it more accurate than just like LIDAR? Totally different. Totally, totally different. Totally different, right? Okay. So we're, we're measuring that fundamental force of, force of nature. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we like to say only gravity knows which way water flows. <laughs> um, Very true. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so where so where are we at in the, uh, the like the state plane coordinate twenty twenty two? Where where right. is that at? So the the initial definitions um, and the the initial definitions of the new state plane zones are now out on our alpha site. Um, they're not they're not totally final yet, but uh, we're we're getting there. Um, we you know the difference between. Uh, the last set of state planes and the new ones is we've got a whole bunch more. Um, we basically worked with the states over the past bunch of years to um, to redesign the state plane system. Um, we've changed things around enough so that the distortion uh, is less over where people live. Uh, so they push the distortion out into areas where there's much lower population. That's one of the big changes. Uh, and then there's also like four different layers of state plane zones in the new system. There's a a statewide zone. Um, there's a uh, there are there's a full coverage um, smaller zones, kind of like what we have now. Yep. Uh, and then we also have uh, an- another layer that's mostly low distortion projections. That's what I was going to ask about. Yeah, because that like that's how I've heard this described: is a bunch of low distortion projections, basically. Right. That's one of the layers. So we're getting yeah. we're getting kind of all of it together. Oh, okay. You can make okay. you can, you know, so for the for the GIS community, there's one statewide layer that you know that they can use. Uh, but when you're getting down into you know local projects and you need that you need that extra accuracy, you know, going with those low distortion projections makes a big difference. So is it accurate to say that with low distortion projections, grid and ground are the same? So we're getting. <laughs> the, the, the that would be the dream place to be. So yeah. 
my understanding is yes, we're getting there because they uh, we've also moved the uh, the reference surface for the new system uh, okay. from the ellipsoid to to the surface. Oh, okay. Ooh, that changes things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I can see yeah. that. The only thing that's pretty weird is like in Arizona, we've got basically, you know, East Central West. Uh, and now there's going to be like, what, 40 different zones or something? I, I'm not exactly sure what they are, but yes, there's going to yeah. be there's going to be the statewide zone. Then I think there's going to be um, a couple ones that cover the whole state. Got it. But then there's going to be a whole series of low projection, low distortion projections sure. as well. Yeah. What a huge undertaking. Enormous. In the, like 16 each, years, right? Each state had like a representative, right? Like Brian Fisher, I think, was our Arizona yep. person that was managing our our projections, I guess, right? And each state had somebody like Brian. Yeah. So each state, we required that a, some you know somebody official had to be able to speak for the state. Like either you know a surveying organization. There's a, a list of different organizations that could be representative for the state. Yep. Um, and so we worked with with them to. Yeah, basically make those decisions for each state. Yeah, um, and in, in many states it was a big process, right? Everybody getting sure. together and trying to, you know, work it out. So is it like Colorado? I would think would be a complicated state, whereas Iowa would be a much easier state. Is that accurate? I, you know, I'm. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it really, it really depended on what the what the local folks wanted in each state. Ah, gotcha. Hmm, okay. okay. Gotcha, gotcha. So once this gets rolled out, then what are you going to do? Well, you know, it's we're rolling it out kind of in, in, in phases because we, you know it's it's been an enormous undertaking. Um, when we Amazing. when we do it, when we release it next year, it'll be mid twenty twenty five. It'll be a beta release of all the tools or all of the data and a limited set of tools. Yeah. Um, so it'll take us a few years after that to continue to build additional tools. Um, you know, and work with people to be able to implement it. Yeah. Sean, what's, what are you thinking of that, buddy? I mean, my, my mind's spinning. It, is, it really is. I know this is more surveyor talk, not so much geotechnical engineer talk. Yeah, I'm just still stuck on gravity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when you, when you talked about the difference between Colorado and Iowa, I'm sure the, the gravity measurements are, are, are stark. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We did uh, a series of surveys called the uh, geoid slope validation surveys. Okay. And one of them was here in Colorado. Another one was in Iowa. Um, and another one was down in Texas. Okay. What's interesting about Iowa is that it's it's really flat, but there's this giant uh, granitic intrusion under, under the underground. Basically, magma came up but didn't break the surface. And so there's a very, very dense what? ridge. Really? But, yeah. Yep. And so, oh so the value of gravity has this giant hump in the middle of uh, uh, Iowa, even though it's really flat. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. That is so cool. Any other oddities like that? You yeah, want to share? yeah, yeah. What do you, what do you think? The is that the most, or is that the oddest thing? That's pretty cool. I, 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 one of the coolest things uh, to tell you about is the uh, the international comparison of absolute gravimeters, right? So think about this: if you have an instrument that measures a fundamental force of nature, but it's the only one that can do it. How do you know if it's right? right? It's well, point. what is right if there's only one uh, one thing to measure? Right. Well, so what what they do? So there's a there's a company that makes these absolute gravimeters, um, and they've made like 60 of them over the last 30 years. And those they each have their individual numbers, and the people that use them, you know, they're like their children. Um, but every four yeah. years. They bring them to, they all get together in one particular place and test them against each other, right? And these things can measure gravity down to 
the ninth decimal place. In, in, in what unit? Uh, Microgals. Have you heard of that? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, who in the world thought to measure gravity? Like, whoever that person is, is an absolute genius. Well, and I, and I guess what, and, I, and back to the bigger question is like, what do you, what do you get out of coming to a conference like this? And what does the geospatial community get from a better gravity resolution? I guess you could say. Ah, uh, that's yeah, that's the million dollar question, right? Why? So, NAVD eighty eight is the current vertical datum in the U.S. NAVD eighty eight was made from uh, adjusting together. Uh, 2.2 million kilometers of geodetic leveling across 800,000 benchmarks across the entire country. Um, now, the problem is, is that, you know, that leveling took place over about 80 years. And when it was all adjusted together in the late 1980s, you know, it was the information that we had and the assumption was made that nothing had moved mm. uh, in the intervening time since those lines were surveyed. Yeah. Um, but we know the Earth's yep. a dynamic place, right? Yep. So all of the movement of those marks really kind of got folded into an ADD-88. Um, and so it's it's not as consistent across the country as we have, we should have as a, as a reference frame. So, uh, and the other thing is, is because it was a geodetic leveling-based datum, it yeah. stops at the shoreline, right? Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the, the new gravity-based reference frame, or geopotential datum. It's going to be called Geoid 2022, and it's going to, it covers the entire northwestern hemisphere, so entire quarter of the Earth. Wow. Um, and it, you know what they do is they combined satellite gravimetry from satellites, the airborne gravimetry, and ground-based gravity measurements, put them all together. Um, and so you're going to have this consistent surface that's across the entire region, um, and that's going to be much more accurate than, than any VD-88 has been. Um, and it's the other thing is that it's accessible um, through GPS, right? For NABD-88, you have to go find an NABD-88 benchmark hmm. and use that published elevation as a starting point. In the future, you'll be able to get a GPS observation, get your ellipsoid height from GPS, apply the geoid model, and that will be the definition of the new... Wow. Uh, uh, yeah. So any, it's going to be NABD-88. 22? It's going to be... Or no, Geoid 20. I wouldn't know what you're saying. So, so, so Geoid 2022 is, is the model. Okay. The, the geopotential datum is called NAPGD 2022, North American Pacific Geopotential oh, yeah, yeah, gotcha. Datum of 2022. Gotcha. How much will it change? Well, I mean, I'm sure it's going to vary, but like in Phoenix, where we're from, you know, uh, NGVD 29, NAVD 88, is plus or minus two feet, you know, in the area that we work in. So that was a substantial change. Will there be that kind of change between 88 and 22? Yeah. So we have okay. we have maps on our website that shows it. So NEVD 88 also has a, a, a bias from and a tilt. And so that change when we go from any 88 to um, 22, yeah. that that those changes are going to be different across the country. So it's it's relatively close together in Florida, and it gets increasingly large as you go up towards the northwest. So in the northwest, it's going to be uh, around a meter. Oh, wow. Whoa. Uh, and up in Alaska, I think it's over it's a couple meters at least. Gotcha. I don't know about you, buddy. I need a drink after this one. Man, it's, <laughs> a, it's intense. I'm just like, what do we do when it comes out? Like, and then how is the transition period? And Right. Well, that's so that's really why I'm here is talking to people about what, you know, what's coming, what it's going to yeah. mean and particularly how to prepare. Sure. Right. And what do you tell them? 
you have to know your metadata, right? In order to transition, you know, your your geospatial data and your geospatial products from the, the old system to the new one, you need to know what datums, you know, your current your current sure. data is in. Um, so really, getting an understanding of uh, you know, the, the metadata of all of your your data, uh, as well as your your uh, uncertainty requirements, right? Your your error tolerance. So, and that's going to dictate how you make that transition. You know, if your error to, if your error tolerance is pretty small, you're probably going to have to resurvey, right? Go back out there, do do a GPS survey, process it in the new frames. That's that's the best way to get into the new frames most most accurately. Then you'll be able to. You have another way is to reprocess your data. You can use your old old observations, but reprocess them when, once we release the new frames and have the tools to, to do that. Uh, and then the third way is to transform your data. Uh, and so sounds like that's number three for a reason. Yeah, right. <laughs> now it's the, it's the cheapest and the easiest, but it's also the, the least accurate. And all these projections are going to have to be you know uploaded to everybody's data collectors and everything. So once yep. this all goes online, it's going to be interesting for sure. Yeah. We're working with industry and the, you know the hardware and the software vendors to try and make sure that you know they're aware. Most of them, you know, most of the big companies, they're all aware. And, yeah. You know, starting to get ready to be able to implement it in their in their products. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So hope that the goal is the goal is that we can you know work with industry to do it right so it's relatively seamless to the end, end user in that transition. Yeah. Big things coming. Big things coming. I'm so glad we had this conversation. Yeah. Galen, appreciate you stopping by. Yep, thanks, thanks for everything. Yep, my pleasure. I Great appreciate the you. opportunity.